Good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's great to, to see you today. If uh, you're new and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of the, the Docs family today. But I don't know if you guys know this or not, but today's actually like a really exciting, kind of a big day in the life of the Docs family because today we officially turn four years old. And my ex- yeah. So it's a, it's a really cool day for our church family. And, you know, as I was thinking about this and thinking about the idea of, like, birthdays and all that stuff, the essence of a birthday is really just a celebration of a start of a new thing, right? And, it, and it's so interesting when we think about uh, our birthdays and how we celebrate our birthdays, you know, because we get presents, you know, we get cake, we have people say nice things about us, all that stuff. But the interesting part is, like, our birthdays really have very little to do with anything that we did, Right? I mean, I mean, on my birthday, you know, it would probably make more sense for everybody to like, call my mom and be like, Cindy, congratulations, you loved Rob's dad, you did a thing, and you brought about life. Good job. You send her a cupcake, a card, and it'd be great, right? This would make more sense. But I really didn't have anything to do with my birth, right? I just kind of popped out. It started causing problems, right? But, Doxa, as we turn four today, and we celebrate, as we do this, in a posture, and I just want to remind you of this, that the birth of this church has very little to do with us. All right, sure, we, we did a thing, and some of us, out of our love for God and our love for people, we, we moved here with the hope and the prayer to start this thing called Doxa, but it's God that brought birth and life to this church family. And I love the fact that our name, Doxa Church, reminds us of this reality. Doxa is the word for glory. And so every time that we say Doxa Church, we're reminded that it's all about Jesus, it's not about us. And I love that about this. It's like this story is a story that God is writing, and we're just lucky to be in the van that is called Doxa. And so as we celebrate our fourth birthday today, we look to God, and we just say thank you. Right? We thank him for all the ways that he has shown up, all the ways that he's provided, all the ways that he's changed lives and saved lives, and all the ways that he continues to, to lead us, to protect us, and to provide for us. And so here's how we're going to celebrate our fourth birthday today. We, got, we don't have any cupcakes, we don't have balloons or anything like that, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to open up the Bible and get to know our great God even more. And we're going to celebrate and ask him to continue to do the work that only he can do, okay? So let's pray. God, I, I do just thank you. I thank you for the life you've given me through Jesus. We thank you for salvation. Jesus, thank you for your mission to seek us, to serve us, and to save us. And we thank you for the Doxa Church family. And this group of people that don't have it all together, but we worship a God that is perfect. And we just say that we love you. And so as we open up the Bible today, would you help us to celebrate who you are as we get to know you even more? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so happy birthday, Doxa. Grab your Bibles, all right? Find your way to Exodus chapter 14, okay? We're in the middle of a teaching series titled God Is. And in two weeks, we're going to kind of jump into a journey through the great Old Testament book of Daniel, which is going to take us all the way to Christmas. But for the next two weeks, we're going to continue considering some of these attributes of God. That if you're newer to the Bible, you need to know that throughout the Bible, we see God revealed in many different ways, many different attributes and, and names and pictures of who he is. And the heart behind this series is really just to help us to know more who God is by looking at different ways that God has revealed to us throughout the scriptures. All right, because the truth is, guys, when we misunderstand the character of God, life can be even more confusing. It become, can become very difficult, very painful, and oftentimes it's, it's lacking hope and joy, direction and purpose. But when we get God right, like everything else kind of falls into place. And I want you to hear me on this, okay? It's, it's not that life gets perfect, right? Because we couldn't, shouldn't expect any more than Jesus, and Jesus was killed, homeless, didn't have any money. It doesn't get perfect, but here's what happens when we get God right. Life becomes a little more clear, and life begins to have some purpose and be filled with hope and joy and direction. And so, so far, over the last couple weeks, we've looked at the reality that God is holy, right? Meaning that he's, he's set apart, he's perfect. And then last week, we considered this idea that God is faithful, 
And even when we're repeatedly unfaithful and foolish, God is constantly and consistently faithful and good. And today what we're going to do is we're going to consider the idea and the truth that God is able. He's able. And this is something I'm so excited about to share with you guys because this literally changes everything about our eternity, but even our present reality as we walk through the everyday stuff of life. But as it relates to this idea of God being able, let me just say this, all right, if you've grown up in or around the church, right, and you're familiar with your Bible, you kind of know, right, you Christians in here, you kind of know that God is able, meaning that he's like powerful, he's capable of doing anything. You look at the Bible from the first chapter, we see that God is, is the creator, he creates everything out of nothing, that he can do that. And when then we see him just repeatedly do miraculous things, probably the pinnacle of which is raising Jesus from the dead, that he does the impossible. And we know that God is able to take care of our sin problem through faith in Jesus, where he forgives us, he gives us new life, he rescues us from the hell that we're marching towards as a result of our sin. We know these things. And so as Christians, you know, we're, we're supposed to say and think, God is able. He's able. And, it, and this is really easy to do, right, when life is going really, really easy. Everything is super smooth. Your job is great. Your family is great. Your kids are worshiping Jesus. And you're in here and you're like, praise the Lord. you got your hands up. You're taking your picture on Instagram with your Bible and your coffee. And praise the Lord. It's just good, right? But what about when life kind of just kicks you in the face? What about those hard things in life that we all walk through? where everything just kind of goes south. Things get hard. Things we want to see happen just don't. We suffer. We need help. We experience brokenness and loss. We're fearful of the future. We're looking for a way out, and we can't see a way out, and we just feel completely out of control and hopeless and helpless. What about those times? You know, and for many of us, those problems that hit us all the time throughout life, What it does is for many people, even Christians, right, is it dwarfs God. We have our our problems front and center, and it kind of overshadows God, and they become the biggest thing in our life. And we start to wonder, as God gets smaller and smaller, is all that stuff actually true? Is God actually able to do those things? I believe the answer is yes. And I've been praying that today would help us to be able to say yes more confidently than we did when we walked in today. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to help us to behold God. And to behold literally means just to see. And so I want to help us more clearly see God today in his glorious, life-changing, ever-present power in our lives by looking at one of the most significant historical events in the world, which is documented in the book of Exodus. And it's the story of the Red Sea Crossing. All right, the parting of the Red Sea. And no matter how much you know your Bible, you've likely heard this account, right? Even if it's only Jim Carrey and what was that movie, Bruce Almighty, where he splits his tomato soup, right? We've all seen that. But I love this section of the Bible, and I'm excited to teach it because when we talk about God being able and powerful, guys, I've experienced this in my life. And I can tell you that the only reason that I'm standing on stage today is because this is absolutely true. And so let me just set the stage by summing up the first 13 chapters of the book of Exodus. Okay, we're going to be here for a while, right? Just buckle up. But chapter 1, we find God's people in Egypt. That at the end of the book of Genesis, we're given the account of Joseph and his family, and they're living in Egypt as God gave Joseph favor with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And for years, the Israelites were, were doing pretty well. But then Joseph dies, and Pharaoh dies, and there arises a new king, over Egypt, and what he did is he kind of looked at all the Israelites and said, hey, there's a lot of them, maybe even more than us, like, they could cause some problems, they could actually overtake us if they want, and so what he does is he says, you know what, we're going to kind of try and mitigate this this problem, this population, we're going to kill all the baby boys of the Jews, and then on top of that, we're going to throw them into slavery, and then chapter two, we see that the slavery situation was so terrible that the Israelites were just crying out to God in desperation for help. And in chapter 2, verse 23, we're told that God actually hears their cries for help. He sees their situation, he sees their affliction, and he remembers his promise to bless them. And in chapter 3, God moves. He moves in a mighty way. That God doesn't just hear the prayers and the cries of his people, but he moves to action. 
And what he does is he calls a man named Moses to lead the charge. And in chapter 3, verse 8, God shows up to Moses through a burning bush. And I wish I could pull over a little bit and talk about that. Don't have time. But the big story is that God does a miraculous thing to show Moses and reveal to Moses God's miraculous plan. And he says, hey, I've heard the cries of my people. I love my people. I'm with my people. I'm here. And I'm going to give them a way out of their terrible situation. And Doctor, this is so significant, okay? See, the word exodus literally means a way out. And God says, I'm going to give my people that I love a way out of this situation, a way out of their affliction. And I want to tell you that this idea is really just the meta-theme of the entire Bible. From the first chapter to the last, it's a story of exodus. It's God loving his people and providing a way out of a dire situation. And so God says to Moses, go to the king of Egypt and just tell him. Let my people go. And then in chapter 4, we see that Moses is a little bit nervous about that. He doesn't have a lot of confidence. He's like, but I stutter. I can't do this. I'm scared. And so God kind of gives him a pep talk. He gives him a friend to help him named Aaron. And then they go to the Israelites and say, here's what God is doing. Here's what God said. All the Israelites believe. They're super excited. They think that God's going to do something great. And then in chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him, hey, here's what God says. Let my people go from the oppressive slavery that you have them in. But Pharaoh is like this very prideful, egotistical man, and he just scoffs at this request and makes the slavery circumstances even worse for the Israelites, and they begin to suffer more and more and more. Then in chapter 6, Moses again talks to the Israelites and says, hey, I know things are getting worse, they're bad, but he says, hey, trust God. Just trust God. He's going to deliver us. He's going to show up. He's able. But these people, God's people, were so broken, they were so hopeless that they begin to doubt God and they didn't listen to Moses. And so Moses then goes back to Pharaoh and he says, hey, you actually don't know who you're messing with. But God is not joking. All right? And he says, if you don't let the people go, stuff's going to get real. This is the Rob Warren translation, okay? But this is what he's saying. And Pharaoh, he continues to say no, and if you look at chapters 7 through 12, this is the account of the 10 plagues that God sends to Egypt to really kind of knock some sense into Pharaoh and make him realize that God is in fact God, Pharaoh is not, and he needs to listen. And if you haven't read that account, right, I think you should do that this week, or you can watch the Disney movie Prince of Egypt and get the gist of it, okay? But Pharaoh doesn't listen until the last plague the last plague takes the, live of all, the lives of all the firstborn of the Egyptians, and it was then that Pharaoh and all of Egypt were weeping and finally told Moses to get the Israelites out. And then in chapter 13, we see that God's people are let out of slavery and that God's presence is with them and guiding them and protecting them in the form of a, of a pillar of great clouds and fire. And this brings us to chapter 14, verse 1, where we're going to camp out, okay? So at this point, God's people, after 430 years of slavery, are now free. There's roughly around 600,000 of them. They're wandering through the wilderness to the place that God promised Abraham. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 14, I'm going to walk through this chapter, kind of pointing a few things out along the way, and then we're going to give some application, okay? Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahithroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh, and all the host, and all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And look at this. And they did so. They listened to God. They were trusting God in this moment. And I'm just going to stop here, okay? Because I want us to consider the motives that God had in rescuing his people from slavery. Because there's several, and they're very significant. All right, one reason is that God makes promises and he keeps them. And you just need to know this about our God. That if you remember back to our study through the book of Genesis, in chapter 15 of that book, God makes a promise to Abraham that his descendants would actually return to the land of Canaan. And for hundreds of years, it seemed as though like God had forgotten. Like he's up on his throne, he's eating his grapes, he's got a show he's watching, he forgot about his people, he forgot about his promise. But here, he's beginning to fulfill it. And Doxa, I want you to know this should bring us great comfort, that we have a promise-keeping God. Amen? This is the truth about our, who our God is. 
And the Bible, as you read it, is just filled with promises that are given to us to encourage us that God will be our help in every troubled chapter of our lives. I want you just to listen to some of these promises. And as you hear these, just behold our God and be encouraged because I guarantee you there's someone in here that you need to hear this. But God promises to be our hero in times of trouble. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, call upon me. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God promises to be our defender against our adversaries. Psalm 35, 10 says, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering from the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. God's promi- God promises to be our helper in providing for our needs. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, saying, God is able God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God promises to be our hero to deliver us from our fears. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 41, verse 10. He says, fear not. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God promises to be our strength in our fight against temptation. Again, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will provide you a way of escape, a way out, that you may endure it. Doxa, God makes and keeps promises to us today. And this should give us great comfort. Now, secondarily, God moved to rescue his people because he has great love for them. And this is the drum that I keep beating. God is Father. He's Father. And if you understand this, I'm going to keep hitting this drum, right? Because when we understand and it moves from our head to our heart that God is Father, it literally changes everything about your life. There is joy, there is peace, there is comfort, there is security. God is Father. And with his Father's heart of love, we see in chapter 2 that he hears the pain and the cries of his people, his kids. And dads, you know this, right? You hear your kids crying off in the distance, and your heart drops, you spring to action, and you just go to help them, to fight for them, whatever is happening, right? This is our God. This is our God. He is Father. And if you're his kid through faith in Jesus, he loves you like that. He loves you like that. He's able to hear your cries, your needs, your desires. I'm so thankful that God is not just a God of love, but he's a God of action. And he moves for us, and he helps us, and he serves us. And so he's motivated by his promises, his love. And thirdly, look at verse 4. God says, it's so he gets glory, and that the Egyptians shall know that he is God. And this is, again, really significant. See, God's root motive in everything is his passionate commitment to magnify his glory to the world. We see this here, but also if you look back to chapter 9, verse 16, it says that his name might be declared throughout all the nations. And so the truth is, there is only one true God, and he is passionate about his people from every nation knowing him. And the world at the time of the Exodus was much like our day today, filled with false gods. False gods that keep people from seeing the glory of the one true God, which ultimately leads people to destruction away from God. But God, the two greatest words in the Bible, but God. But God with his Father's heart of love, he declares and he shows his glory throughout the world so that people can come to know him. And I want you to see this, okay? God's purpose in delivering Israel in this way, it goes beyond Israel. All right, because he aims to win the Egyptians to worship him as well as the one true God. He's passionate about his glory because he's passionate and he loves the people that he's created from every nation, that every nation would see the glory of God and come to him so that they would receive life and eternal life and they would see Jesus Christ. It's his glory. And so he's motivated to help his people because of his promises, his love, and his glory. And then he tells Moses to go set up camp by the Red Sea. And then verse 5, take a look. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Serving us, right? They, they were beating them as slaves. That's a nice way to say we have them as slaves, we let them go. So we, he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him. 
and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped by the, at the sea by Pihahithroth, in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it not, is, it, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, I want you to underline this in your Bible, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. So Pharaoh, after all the plagues where God revealed that he is in fact the one true God and showed his power and his glory, Pharaoh once again has his heart hardened against God, which leads him to go against God, which is really just the definition of sin. And as his heart is hardened towards God, he sends his entire army to go overtake the Israelites, either to bring them back into slavery or to kill them all by the Red Sea. Now, before I go any further, I want to quickly address something. Look at verse, the, verse 8. The phrase in verse 8 can cause some problems. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. All right, so this brings about some questions because as you read through Exodus, you see this phrase a number of times, and it can seem as though that God is making Pharaoh sin so that he could punish him. And if you read it like that, it can be problematic for you because you think, and you're like, this doesn't seem right. And you might ask, like, would God actually make someone do something terrible so that he could just prove a point and punish him? And this is why it's so important to remember what we talked about week one of this series. Do you remember this? That God is holy. He's perfect and he's righteous and he only does what is good because there are no shadows in him or wrong or sin at all. And so the question is, is how do we understand this? And here's what I believe. All right, when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what it really means is that God simply facilitated a process that Pharaoh himself initiated. All right, because if you read through Exodus, it repeatedly states that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And there's a, there's a theologian named Norman Geisler, and he says that God did not directly harden Pharaoh's heart, or anyone's heart for that matter, contrary to their own free choice, but only indirectly through their own choice. And he goes on to say that God in his omniscience foreknew exactly how Pharaoh would respond and he used it to accomplish his purpose. That God ordained the means of Pharaoh's free but stubborn action. So Pharaoh is just this very wicked, very evil, vile, sinful man who brought these judgments on himself and the nation that he led with 400 plus years of slavery and mass murder. And here he's just filled with anger and he sends his entire army to get God's people. And if you look back to verse 10, all right, as the Israelites see the army of the, uh, the Egyptians coming, they just begin to freak out because they have their back up against the Red Sea. There's no way back. They can't retreat. They can't go forward because the army's coming. They're like, we're all going to die. We're here. There's no way out. And in this moment of fear, they just lose sight of God. They lose sight of who God is. They lose sight of his presence, his promises, his power, and his love. And they start to yell at Moses. And they're just like, we're all going to die, and it's your fault. We should have stayed in Egypt. It was great there. Do you remember that, right? Now, guys, we can look at the, Israel, the Israelites here, and we can be like, you guys are ridiculous, right? I mean, you just saw God do miraculous things with the plagues. You just saw him get you out of a terrible situation and save you, and you're literally seeing the manifestation of God in a pillar of clouds and fire. Like, what are you doing? Why are you scared? God is with you. He's fighting for you. He's with you right now. Why are you doubting God? He made promises. Stop freaking out. Here's the truth. I think that we tend to be a lot like the Israelites here. And I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. But much like the Israelites who stood terrified before the Red Sea, 
I've wrestled with similar thoughts and similar moments. There's stuff that happens in my life where I ask, I'm like, God, why would you like love me enough and save me from my sin to lead me into such a terrible, awful, seemingly hopeless situation? Have you been there? Those times, whether it's like circumstances involving like physical or mental health, or finances, or marital hardship, or relational brokenness, addictions, death, loss, like whatever it might be, these are very real things that we all experience. And in those back up against the Red Sea moments, as much as I wish I could stand up here as your pastor and say, you know what, my response just reflected what Moses said in verse 13. If you look back, he says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. As much as I wish that has been my response since coming to know Jesus, I'd be lying if I stood up here and said that to you. But for me, many times, fearing my pain and suffering and circumstances will never end, I've kind of stumbled around. I've pounded my fist on the table, angry at God, doubted him and his presence and his power, and just asked, like, are you even here? Do you even see me? Do you even love me? Are you fighting for me? And I don't think I'm alone in that. But Doc said, it's in these times that we're, we just need to remember who God is. He's holy. He's faithful. He's able. He's love. He's good. And he can be trusted even when we don't know what's going on. Even when we don't know how am I going to make it through this. Even when I don't know what the heck is going to happen. We can trust him because through Jesus, I'm his kid. He's my dad. And he's fighting for me like a king. Amen? This is stuff that we need to keep reminding ourselves of because, again, it's so easy to say when things are going well. But it's in those dark moments where we need to preach the gospel and preach the truths to ourselves and we need to have brothers and sisters around us to say, this is who God is. Now look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they can, shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall on them or to them on their right hand and on their left hand. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of the cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So, the, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters be, being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Here's what I want you to see. God is able to deliver us from our situations. All right, for the Israelites, he shows up and does a miracle. I mean, he parts the Red Sea and he saves his people. There was no way out, but God made a way out. And it wasn't likely the way that his people were thinking like, yeah, this is what we should do. We should just somehow go through this sea. But God knew it was the best way forward for his people's good. And if you look back to verse 19, 
It says, the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Guys, this this was like God manifesting himself in his presence. That when he moves to stand between his people and their enemy, this is actually just an act of war. And this is what Moses sang about as after they get through the Red Sea in chapter 15. This is just a big worship song. It's a really weird one. I can't figure out the melody, but it's a worship song. And they're, and they're singing. And Moses even says, like, the Lord is a man of war. He's fighting for us. God steps forward and he shields his kids. He puts himself in the middle and in effect says, I'm going to take this fight for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect my people. God fights for you. You need to know that he fights for you. He fights against Satan, sin, death, and hell, and temptation, but he also fights for, for your joy, for your hope, for your family, for your peace, for your life. This is our God. Behold him, Doxa. This is actually who our God is. And so I need to land this plane, but let me just give you some application, okay? Here's what you need to know about God being able. Number one, he's able to hear your cries. Somebody, you just need to hear this. I know this. If you've put your faith in Jesus, God is your father. And Jesus has taken your sin, he's given you his righteousness, and he has made you new, and you're no longer an enemy of God, but you're a child of God. And as a child of God, your father, he hears you, he sees you, he cares for you, he loves you, and he protects you because he is, in fact, your father. Let that just encourage you. And tuck that away for the day that you need that. He hears you. He he sees you. And I'll tell you this, guys. If you're going through it right now, and you don't see the hand of God, trust the heart of God. He's Father. You might not see him moving, but you can trust that he's loving. Because that's his disposition towards you. But I also need to say this. All right, if you've not come to Jesus, God is not your father. And I love you enough to tell you that. He's your creator, but your sin is still causing a separation between God and you. And you're an enemy of God. You're not a child of God. But God has made a way for you, and that's, that is good news. This is what this church is all about. It's all about Jesus. That Jesus came to live and to die and to raise for you. And if you come to him, God can be your father. And you can hold firm to this truth that he actually hears you and loves you. It's all Jesus. He hears your cries. Now, secondarily, I want you to know that God is able to deliver you from your situation. All right, some of you are stuck in this Red Sea-type moment right now. You feel hopelessly stuck. You don't see a way out. And whether it's sin dragging you around like on a leash, or it's an addiction that's ruining your life, or it's insecurities that's crippling you, or a thought pattern that's robbing you of joy, or a marriage that feels like a war, or kids that are just going their own way, or physical or mental illness that is threatening your life, I want you to know that God is able to help you, to deliver you, and to protect you. He is with you. I believe this to the core of me. I've seen it happen. I've seen him show up in my life. And if you've come to Jesus in faith, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And so Christian, let me remind you this morning, there is resurrection power in your life. There is power to get through. There is power for a way to be made. This is what God does. And what this means is that there's always a way out. Or there's a way through, or there's a way home. And we can have faith and trust God. Or to use Moses' words here, fear not. And stand firm while the Lord fights for you. And so he's able to hear our cries. He's able to deliver us from our situation. But God is also able to save us from our sin. And we see this in chapter 14. And you might be like, I didn't see the word sin there. Where are you getting this? Let me just show you guys because I want you to know the Red Sea crossing in this Exodus is really just a giant neon arrow pointing to Jesus. This is amazing. All right, let me show you this. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says this about Jesus. He says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And as he does this, he quotes Hosea 11, which was a reference to the Exodus. And the son in Hosea is pointing to Israel. And so what Matthew is doing is he's making a direct connection between Jesus' work on the cross and the Old Testament Exodus and the Red Sea crossing. And then when you go to Luke chapter 9, looking at the transfiguration account, we have Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah 
who appear and they speak to him. And when you read this, it says that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And as we read it, guys, it really just appears that it's talking about Jesus' death, which of course it actually was, except the Greek word used here is the word exodus. And so what Luke is saying is what Jesus was going to accomplish in Jerusalem was going to be the ultimate way out. The ultimate exodus was going to be through Jesus that ultimately the Red Sea crossing and the exodus point us to Jesus and his work on the cross through the resurrection. And then when you get to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 3 and 4, it says that Jesus was the greater Moses, that Moses in fact points us to Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 11 verse 29, it says that, that by faith the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians couldn't pass through because they didn't have faith. And it's very clear that Hebrews 11 is talking about Christian faith and it's using the Red Sea crossing as a paradigm for Christian faith. And so all that to say is this, is that the Exodus account and the Red Sea crossing is pointing to salvation, the cross, the resurrection, where God gives us an ultimate way out of our sin through faith in Jesus. It's all about an Exodus. We all need an Exodus. And the greatest Exodus that we need is from our sin. This is what we're seeing here. It's pointing us to Jesus. And I want you to know the biggest problem in your life, the biggest thing that you need a way out of, is your sin. It's not your money. It's not your relationship. It's not your legal battle that you're fighting. It is your sin. Your sin separates you from God. And if it goes on forever, this just ends in the terrible conscious reality of hell. And it's only Jesus that will get you a way out. The Israelites, they were saved from death by the Egyptians by trusting God and crossing through the Red Sea. We are saved from eternal death, from sin, by trusting God and putting our faith in Jesus to escape eternal separation from God because of sin. And this is the most important thing about your life. It's always about Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. This is what this church is all about. And then finally, God is able to be trusted. Docs, I want you to know this. Just take this in. He's able to be trusted. Guys, the the Israelites, they were in slavery for 430 years. It didn't seem like God was going to be able to show up. But God always shows up for his kids. And it might not be in the way that we expect, but it's the way that's best for us. Because this is how God lives towards us as a father. You can trust God. That in those times that you can't see God's hand moving, trust his heart loving. He's a father. And there's a wonderful Bible teacher, a woman named Beth Moore. And she says it like this. She says, God always delivers us. But this deliverance can take different forms. And she says, God can either deliver us from something, meaning that he will intervene in such a way that we won't even have to experience that thing and worry about it. And this is invariably like our first choice, right? Yeah, I'll take that one, right? Deliver me from that. But God in his infinite goodness towards us, he might not always deliver us from something. Instead, he might deliver us through something. That he may allow us to experience the thing that's hard. But he promises that it's not going to destroy us and he promises that he'll be with us through it all. And if he chooses to have us go through that thing, we can trust him as a father that he has a purpose for it, to help us, to teach us, to make us more as who he's created us to be. And so while we can pray for God to deliver us from our troubles rather than through them, we can trust him that his ways are best because he is in fact Father. But there's also sometimes that God chooses not to deliver us from something or through something, but instead he might choose to deliver us home. Straight into his presence, straight into glory. And Beth Moore says that if we only knew how wonderful heaven is and how awesome it would be in the presence of God, this would always be our first choice. And so, Doxa, I'm out of time. God is able. He's able to help us, to deliver us, to save us. He can be trusted by us and depended on by us. And I pray that this would change your perspective on life as it has and continues to change my life. And so what we're going to do before we get into worship is I know that like you hear like a teaching like this and you could think like you're a pastor this is what you have to do like give me the rah-rah speech like make me feel good this is this is real and I want to invite my friend Corey up here
Corey, can you come up here, man? You can give it up for Corey. So Corey has become one of my good friends. I met him like my first week in Madison. And Corey, while a godly man, has suffered greatly. And I've had a front row seat to watching it. And it's built my faith. And I've seen the hand of God move. And I've seen him provide. And I've seen the ability of God through Corey's story. So I asked Corey just to share a few minutes of just his story from Fraser. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. I said uh, that I would. Uh, so I'll give it another shot. So he had asked me if I would come up and uh, speak and share a little bit, and I said, "Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'd be more than happy to do that." Um, I had met him now. I guess four-year anniversary. I guess that was three and a half, four years ago that we met um, through a, um, a mutual friend at Cornerstone Church, uh, through my brother, through his friend, through a fellow pastor. Long story short, we met at Colectivo Coffee, had some uh, great time, and it, it was a life-changing experience for me, um, and it set in motion a lot of things. Um, he, he brought me to, or asked me if I wanted to go to a service at Divine Church at, at the time. Um, I accepted, and um, the Holy Spirit was really moving in there. I mean, Doxa really had something special, and so from Doxa, we went to Sheridan, uh, from since Sheridan, we went here. I was uh, lucky enough to be able to help build out much of this. So I've, I've been very, very, uh, very lucky. Uh, so he um, asked me on Tuesday um, and on Wednesday at Connection Group, uh, we talked about uh, some valleys that we have and what that looks like and how God showed up. So I thought I would kind of go through two valleys that uh, I went through in my life and um, and try to keep it as short as possible. Um, and uh, I'll just give you a real quick flyover. Um, I, I grew up in a small town in Iowa, Elgin, Iowa. I moved here in 1993. Um, I started a business, uh, worked very hard, um, and uh, drank uh, even harder. Um, alcohol and drug abuse were a big part of my life. At 28, I got married. Um, my drinking career continued. Um, and uh, then my daughter was born. And that changed everything. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't allow myself to grow up. Um, I couldn't allow my daughter to grow up with a father that drank like I did um, and did the things that he did. Uh, so I, I tried to drink, uh, tried to stop drinking I tried everything that I knew to quit drinking, and, and nothing worked. Um, you know, the hook had been set, and, and I, I, I couldn't pull it back out. Um, there was, I, just, I just got on my knees and just cried out for God, you know, to take the desire for alcohol from me because I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own. And I really didn't know what to do. I couldn't drink. I couldn't not drink. Um, I couldn't um, move forward, backwards. I was just stuck. And... Uh, God showed up. Um, he put people in my life at just the right time, gave me uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and I found my way through uh, the doors of AA. Um, after about two years, uh, I got 60 days of sobriety. It was a, up to that point, it was the hardest thing I had ever done. It, it was really, really hard. Um, I got the 60 days. Um, you know, at the time, uh, when I went into AA, I just wanted to quit drinking. And Little did I know that it, it wasn't about not drinking. It was about it was about turning my will and my life over to the care of God, and, and doing it. Um, you know, not dipping my toe in the water, but jumping in and, and doing you know doing the deal, and and really, really turning my life over to God. And uh, that's what it was about. The fact that um, you know, I, after 60 days, I got uh, uh, a year years, three years, and, uh, you know, it, it's nothing short of a miracle uh, that today I'm standing up here sober. Uh, it, it's an absolute miracle.
thanks, guys. That means a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess through it, I, I learned that, um, you know, it was the only war I had to surrender uh, to win. And, uh, um, you know, God wants all of me, not just a little bit of me. And so uh, a few years went by after getting sober, and I hit another valley. Um, and that second valley was a separation uh, from my wife. And I ended up on uh, sleeping on a couch uh, and then in a uh, friend's trailer. Uh, and uh, I wasn't able to see my daughter on a regular basis, which was like getting my heart ripped out through my chest. Um, and just, uh, you know, things, things got really hard, you know, just from a lawyer separation financial standpoint. I, um, you know, I used to look down on people that filed bankruptcy and went through divorce. That's the truth. And there I was, uh, going through a divorce, and I filed bankruptcy. Um, it was a very humbling moment. Um, I, uh, I lost my truck, uh, having trouble finding money to put gas in my car, and then uh, lost my job of about seven years. Uh, they got bought out, and my division was no longer. So got a severance and said hit the road. So I didn't have a job, I was broke, going through a divorce, and I wasn't able to see my daughter on a regular basis. Um, and it was tough, it was hard. Uh, and in the middle of this, I'm crying out to God, not, not why, why is this happening to me? Um, just God, please help me, because uh, I, I don't know what to do. I'm in the middle of this, I can't see out of it. And I, I just don't know what to do. Um, but this time around was a little bit different in that I, there was a certain level of peace in the middle of it. Um, like God was really close. Um, I, I, I trusted and I knew that he would come through from my past experience. I knew that he would come through and, and I just, I just trusted and I started to take it day by day, 24 hours at a time, just be where my feet are, uh, do the next right thing. And, um, I think, Rob, you can contest to this, that, that, that I really was, I, I had a calmness about me at, at certain times uh, through this. Uh, yeah, I had bad days, but there was a lot of times where, you know, I just knew that I wasn't in control and that somehow, some way, God was going to work this out. I had no idea how, but it was, it was just going to work out. And uh, right on time, um, you know, I... I would love to, but for the sake of time, I, w I would love to be able to um, name all of the names and the people and the places and the things that they did for me because it's a long list. Uh, but my my earthly family, uh, the family of docs of the body of Christ, really put their arms around me, and uh, they they gave me a place to live. I lived in a few different places. Um, they helped uh, give amenities to the places I lived didn't have anything. I had sold everything through my divorce. Um, still have my kayak and fishing poles. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was really um, just at a spot. And, um, <laughs> you know, God came through. He worked through his people. And uh, I got a job through, through uh, Randy here at the church. Uh, I was able to afford a two, uh, sublet through a person I knew. Uh, two-bedroom apartment, so then I could uh, start to see my daughter on a regular basis, which was huge. And uh, things started to come together. I got another job. I got promoted. I have a job now that is, is uh, it's a good job, you know, certainly by my standards anyway. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm not financially stable, but, you know, after, lo after losing, you know, worldly things, you know, I gained everything. You know, I gained... I gained a closeness to God that I never thought that was possible, a peace that I carry with me today, um, a humility. After going through these things, uh, there's just a humility that comes over you, and you're able to, to, to walk into situations and, and treat them with humility and be vulnerable, uh, like I'm doing here today. Um, what other people think about me is just none of my business. I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm living for God, um, and I, uh, you know, 
I'm sealed by the Spirit. I'm being sanctified. Um, and today, I, I feel I feel the freedom that Christ offers. It's 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 an amazing thing. And um, you know, I uh, I guess I'm getting to the end of it. Um, I guess one one thing that sticks out to me is that uh, you know, there's nothing that nothing that can tear the love of God away from me. Um, and you know, God loves me just the way I am, not as I should be. And like, I, I had so much self condemnation, so much self hatred, so much I'm not worthy, I'm less than, could have, should have, would have, regrets, all this stuff, all this garbage. The Father of Lies just feed my head. And uh, I don't have that today. Yeah, it creeps in, but I catch it. Um, and and uh, I, I would never have been able to be in this spot had I not gone through the that that suffering and pain so um guys I I, I really appreciate you listening to my uh, experience strength and hope and uh, thanks Corey I, I love you bro um, thanks for sharing up your life and guys sometimes God shows up in miraculous ways and does something crazy like parts the Red Sea and it's just mind-blowing right other times God still shows up and sometimes he just uses his people to love like Jesus and to provide a way out but the thing that we do know is that God is able and he loves to give ways out and so I'm gonna end like this the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15 4 that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so simply put, Doxa, every biblical narrative of God's heroic act throughout history is meant to create in us an unshakable hope that God will be the hero in our personal stories as well. Amen? He is the hero. All these stories Paul is saying, everything that we've heard through the biblical narrative, through the scriptures are meant to encourage us, to show us that God is able, that God is faithful, that God is holy, that God is good. And for us as God's people, we can look back even to an Exodus account that happened thousands of years ago and we can grab hold of the truth that God is the same yesterday as he is today. So wherever you're at, look to God, ask of God, Trust in God because he's able. So during this next song, I just want to give you the space to do what you need to do. If you need to stand up and just sing as you remember how God has walked you through stuff, just like Moses in Exodus 15, stand up and just like him, raise your hands and raise your voices and worship him. Maybe you're in a place where you are in the valley. And maybe you just need to sit in your seat and grab someone by you and just pray and ask them to remind you of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Whatever you need to do, take that time out.